Good morning, people. This is Hacker Mike coming to you for my morning walk. It's time for high energy talk, high energy podcast, where we're going to go after it. We don't know what we're going after. We don't know what we're doing, but we're going after it. <clears throat> I don't have any show notes. I don't have any plans. I've just got a vague gut feeling about it. I'm listening to Gary Knoll Radio, and Gary Knoll is an interesting guy. He's a real rebel, and uh, he really, my dad turned me on to him. When I first listened to him, I said, oh my God, he must be some kind of hypnotherapist because he's trying to put me to sleep. <clears throat> he's very calm, soft-spoken. But he just drops information on you, one after another, and uh, he's quite the rebel. So, <clears throat> I can only recommend that to everybody. Take a listen to him. Good morning. So, well, what else? <clears throat> just adjusting my microphone here. I notice it has two sides to it. So, I'm listening to that. I'm listening to the Dave Ramsey show. And um, he talks about getting out of debt, paying off all your debt, saving up for a college fund, paying off your house, and all that fun stuff. Quite interesting, quite motivating. I've also been listening to the Free Talk Live show. And these guys and girls and people are some real characters. <clears throat> and um, I actually watched their live stream on YouTube yesterday real quick. And just to see what they look like in real life. And they have quite the crap little studio. And <laughs> it was kind of funny to listen to them and then watch them uh, go after it with each other. I guess it is some form of entertainment. <clears throat> the whole libertarian idea. It's interesting. <clears throat> and I've uh, been thinking also about... Okay, I also listen to the Peter Schiff show, who is talking about how the economy is going to collapse and you should buy gold, and he goes on and on about the Federal Reserve Bank. Interesting guy. Lots of interesting different voices with different perspectives. But the one who's helped me the most recently, in the past it was Jocko, and I, used to, I tried to listen to most of his episodes. I stopped at one point, I think at 1.30 or 1.40, listening to them from the beginning. I have to go back and revisit. But I got enough Jocko because he repeats himself. And um, I got his message, I think, even if I can't follow it completely all the time, which is self-discipline and being tough. And um, people doing, I mean, all the stuff that I should have known. But now I'm listening to the Philosophy Podcast. Philosophize this. I think it's Stephen West. And that has really opened my eyes. <clears throat> has opened my eyes to modern philosophy and postmodern philosophy which I never really got. And I guess I had a simplistic view of the world. I think I intuitively understood structuralism. Um, reading Timothy Leary and uh, Robert Anton Wilson about reality tunnels. I mean, that's the essence of a structure. It's the reality. It's the constructed tunnel. And... Um, reading about Buddha and enlightenment even before that or after that 
and I think <clears throat> I think I mean I've mentioned this before. I think that there's different levels of neural imprints, and that um, enlightenment is not just a neural imprint. But I think that at one or different, there's different levels of enlightenment or awareness, reaching different levels of awareness. Let's say in the mind. Now I'm not going to even try to attempt to talk about awareness outside the mind, even though it is possible, or what it is, but just like neurologically speaking, physiologically speaking, that the imprint, the neural imprint that's talked about in the reality tunnel idea from, I guess, Leary, where you imprint your mind on something and it creates a snapshot. The name or a, a feeling, Umberto Eco said that there's <clears throat> cognitive types, which you can't describe them, but you know them when, they, when you have them. I think that's what it was, a cognitive type, as opposed to molar or deep knowledge. Kind of getting lost here, and I don't want to get lost, so we're going to stay on track. We're going to stay high energy here. But my intuition, my feeling, let's just put it this way, just describe our feeling. My feeling is, my gut feeling, is that you have multiple levels of imprints, and that the imprints create the names or the these imprints label the things in your brain, the different levels of consciousness. And they could be created by society through rituals, etc. Or you could discover them on your own. And I guess if you did deep meditation for long periods of time, you would also deconstruct other imprints and maybe reach new ones. Practicing mindfulness meditation will create imprints and structures in your brain of reflection or self-observation or increase your awareness and eventually you will you will construct some kind of circuit or feedback loop and when those loops activate then consciousness will flow in and out of them I guess and create some kind of circuit and that will that will be an aha moment that will also create a neural imprint or a snapshot that you can come back to that's kind of my intuition on things I think that there's that we're really creating we're not just creating models the philosophers or programmers the one philosopher said we're just creating models and helping people deal with the chaos. Okay. Well, the machine learning people are creating models and they're, they're executing on the computer. And these models are statistical models of reality. And you can't necessarily describe them. They're not descriptable, innumerable, um, understandable models, right? They're just trained and learned from experience, and they're not necessarily labeled or classified. So that's the first insight into machine learning that I have. So the model, well, it's the forming of the network. What is the form of the network, right? Like, what are the operations? What are the flows of your 
of your network. Good morning, geese. They're hissing at me. They even teach their babies to hiss at me once their babies become adolescent. Oh, there, that is a baby, adolescent. Oh, I see. I didn't even recognize them. They're so big. Yeah, practice OPSEC. Operational security. Don't give away your position. Okay, distractions. So those geese distracted me. So let's go back. Rewind. So the machine learning, and I'm just learning about it, so this is like a new beginner, but maybe someone will benefit from some of these insights. It's basically about modeling a function. sample and um, sure a picture in front of you is also just a picture an image like a recognizing what the image is recognizing text on the image recognize the content of the text the meaning of the text and let's say interpreting that as code that creates new models that allows you to recognize things that you haven't seen before that other people have recognized. And then let's say, so yeah, reading a book on philosophy or listening to a podcast on philosophy would help you build up a model in your brain of something and then let you receive information about that thing in a new way to make order out of the chaos of an input to help you train your brain. So software. So philosophy is like software or models, concepts. And that's what we do as programmers. We build models and concepts, we communicate them, and we make them available to people to interact with. To solve problems. To query. To join. So... Yeah, all very interesting. So what are the models? And we talked yesterday, well, unpublished work, but we talked about the model of computing. And then we talked about the model of open source. And is, is not the model of computing, for me, from a structural point of view, the structural structuralism, for me, the model of computing is like a shell a bash shell running in an Emacs window on a Linux operating system with a GNU compiler and Benutils and all that. That's like my model, my structure of reality, which which I'm using. So that's my structure, my structuralism and the interesting thing about that structure is that it's all open. Like every single piece of it is basically visitable, like inspectable. The four basic freedoms of software, you have the right to inspect and study the source code. You have the right to change the source code for your needs and publish those changes. So 
are those not the models of the brain? Does not give us the freedom to change our mental models because the software is creating those mental models just like a philosopher does. Are we not cyborgs in some way? Machine-assisted people on different levels? Bots? And does the operating system and the software not affect how we operate? So, now, can we fork something? Can we can we um, modify it and study it? Source code? So then once we get into operational level, like even if we have the source code for a Hadron Collider, it doesn't mean that we have the resources to run it. Right? Just because you have the Hadoop source code doesn't mean that you are running a Hadoop cluster or have the resources to do it, like Wikipedia. The entire dump is just so humongous. And um, yeah, Gary Knoll is on a war with Wikipedia. And I have my own mixed feelings about Wikipedia. So let me just bring that out. I love the idea of sharing knowledge. And I think that Wikipedia has done a great job in representing a mainstream point of view. It's not necessarily a neutral point of view, but it's a mainstream point of view. And they've really, they have really um, worked hard on that. And in terms of biases, they're documenting the biases of our society, basically, and reinforcing them. So the structure, the structuralism, let's say, of the Wikipedia is the mainstream, it is the dominant force, it is the society that we live in. Now, there's many ways to criticize our current society. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have an alternative to it. There are many alternatives proposed. Everyone thinks that they have a better idea of how to do it. Right? But that doesn't mean that they have the resources to accomplish that. If you were to go into the wilderness of America and um, buy some land in Montana that's pretty cheap or Wyoming and create your own little world there, I mean, who's going to bother you? The Amish and the Mennonites seem to be doing pretty good at maintaining their own bubble of reality and being left alone and interacting positively with people around them. I love Amish pretzels. I love their food. I love everything that my interactions with them are always positive. They're good people. They're polite. You know? Hardworking. So it's possible to maintain an alternative lifestyle or world inside of our culture. But do you have the resources to do it? And that's like the question, do you have the resources to run your own Wikipedia? Now, I'm just going to wander here, but I do intend on publishing this one today for what it's worth. I think this is actually, I'm on fire a little bit, so let me just, 
me just carry on with Wikipedia a little bit. So I support open source, and I support open knowledge, and open street map, and Wikipedia, and all those things, and I promote them. Because I think that they're doing a good job in creating knowledge. Now the final product, the final product, the results of all that work, I might not agree with. And a lot of times it upsets me to see what's in Wikipedia and see the politics and let's say the mainstream stuff. And Gary Knoll said that he has some, he's suing Wikimedia Foundation and he's going to be the first one to do it. And I'm interested to see what happened. He said he has got internal documents. So that's all interesting. Really interested to hear what's going on with that. So, but uh, even if the main article, that's just one snapshot, that's just one choice in decision, a decision tree, like what the article looks like. Now, there's articles that get deleted, okay? And the Speedy Deletion Project, which got deleted by the wiki company, which is also owned by the people who started Wikipedia to make it for profit. But they've got a nice Minecraft wiki. But they don't want to host deleted articles. And it's a big it's a big thing, deleted articles. But let's say we ignore the deleted articles and we just focus on the articles that exist and look at all the the edit history, or we keep a real-time stream of the history, and that history is the value, that is the gold, that is what is being produced by Wikipedia. It's not the final article, it's the article history, and that should be preserved and sucked up and used for machine learning. And then we can write programs that will create multifaceted viewpoints on a particular topic and represent all of the viewpoints, different lenses or views. And I think it's possible to identify those views and to uh, represent them somehow using machine learning and um, tools. Um, yeah. Because all that data is stored. And it's an enormous treasure trove of edit war. And the more edit war you got, the more energy or information is being stored in that article. So, that's how I see it. So don't look at Wikipedia as the final result of the decision tree that was picked by the mainstream bias function. But look at Wikipedia as the data source for mining future knowledge as a gold mine. Open street map. An incredible resource. There's so many resources out there. And if we can work on if we can work on um, on how to uh, look at that. If we can work on how to pay for the servers to store this information and process it. I think um, I think it's good.
And I think uh, some of this research could be in line with the Wikipedia or Wikimedia labs and use compute resources from them and that they wouldn't be opposed to some of it. So that's human knowledge represented in wiki text. I think you could train a computer to identify a good article and to uh, make suggestions or rate changes based on how likely they are to violate some rule or some bias. And basically, we're just training biases here. We're making decision trees. Skip logic on multiple levels. <clears throat> and it might be as simple as looking for a certain word. Like this keyword is this viewpoint. This keyword is that viewpoint. And you might see them introducing the same words again and again. I think we could identify author as well. I mean, that's some, some long-term goal I have for Wikipedia. But no, I don't support necessarily what I see. But, okay, let's talk about that. Um, the whole question of notability, right? For a long time I fought against that with the speedy deletion wikia. And now, I understand that you need some kind of external measure of notability just to resolve lawsuits and protect yourself. Because if you allow all the articles, you'll just get an endless fight. So you need to have some arbiter. But, um... I think if we had a federated wiki where you could just run your own node like a Fediverse and you would just have the right wings and left wings camps which would represent a different viewpoint. I mean, it doesn't even... Yes, it does, because for content that's going to be deleted, you need to basically host it yourself. Okay? For the simple reason that if you are making a representation and you have to stand behind that representation, um, and if someone challenges it, uh, you know, you need to step up and it's just going to drag you into it. So you have to be willing to put the resources to host that particular representation, that particular article. And I think we can make it easy as a service, and that's going to be provided by my Swipe Deploy framework, among other things. I'm going to say Swipe to Deploy Wiki, Swipe to Deploy WordPress, Swipe to copy this article, and we might save some articles in cold storage. Um, not active, but allow people to find them and uh, to restore them and pay for that. Access, you know, the pennies for cloud storage, let's say glacier storage or whatever. It's very cheap. And that could be an investment. And again, machine learning could help us, you know, recognize... Um, Uh, the value or non-value of an article, latent spam, or doesn't contain new information, and uh, can we extract knowledge from it and just store that knowledge as a conditional or invalid, unvalid, invalidated? I mean, it's going to be Viagra spam, obviously. No good. 
Yeah, it takes a lot to run a wiki, let me tell you. Just to deal with spam. And I've done all of that. And had my problems. So, swipe the deploy to the rescue. At least to enable people to do it themselves. And to find people to help them. Like you want to pay someone to help you out? With your thing, well, here's some people who are willing to help, either for free, because they believe in something, or for money, because they need the money, or both. Reduced rate, different topics. I could say I'm willing to work on projects that I support for a little bit, because I'm interested in that. For goodwill. Or I could say I'm so busy, I want to uh, make sure it's worth my while. Okay, now I finally made it through to where the canal exits Trenton. Which has been my goal for a long time. And now to trace it back to where it turns hidden. Or is that just right there? It goes underground. Okay. Alright, so we've talked about the, um... Okay, so now we're going to get to Swipe to Deploy. And I thought I went over this in a couple of my podcasts. And, um... Maybe I wasn't clear. I had a good conversation with someone yesterday. And he's like, what is it? What is it? What can I... How can I work with you? What's in it for me? Um, who are we looking for? So here's here are the aspects of this uh, swipe to deploy. Yeah, and this water comes straight out of the underground here. I'm going to take a picture. Or maybe it goes this way. through here. Okay. Combo especial. some kind of nut. Mulberry trees. 
Okay. So, let's continue. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, you know, everything you do that's being stored long-term about you, even in your encrypted data, eventually it's going to be cracked. Eventually, with newer technology in the future, it will become decrypted. So I think that governments are playing the long game and just storing everything, sucking everything up. So eventually with with um, quantum computing or whatever, they'll be able to decode it. Okay. And also, when Google says they delete information about you, the only thing that they're actually deleting is the fact that it's associated with your name. Like, they're not deleting the data. But they're just removing the connection to you. Right? Just so that's clear. But then they'll have, let's say, anonymized profile of you, which will, let's say, is your anon profile, your digital twin. Or they'll have another algorithm to determine that. Candlelight. Looks like a jazz club. That's the state house, isn't it? Okay, so what is it? When will it be done by? What are your goals? Um, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? Right? Those are the questions. So, what's your target audience? Look at this mulberry tree. That's a nice mulberry tree. So everyone wants to create a website. Everyone wants to create their little mobile app. They have their idea. They want to start a side business, or they have an idea for an app. Right? And um, I think people want to create a micro-business, a small business, something where they something where they um, you know, don't have to leave their day job, right? So this gets into my micro-essential or nano-essential or pico-essential um, business ideas, right? In a sense, I mean, not just a nano-business, but a nano-essential um, business. Yeah, this person's house is right on the park, on the canal. 
Good morning. East Coast Greenway. Maine to Florida, look at that. West Hanover. And here's another mulberry. Yeah, no wonder I was having a problem um, getting this path to, uh, to Trent, through Trenton. It's actually blocked now. So at this point on Hanover Street, the park actually just ends. I'm going to document this. It's like no trespassing, keep out. Or does it go around this person's house? It's like a house on the canal. So it looks like this side here on the right is blocked. But there's a tiny little path on the left. Which it looks like you can go through. This is absurd. Well, I'm happy I got to explore this finally. So I know what's going on. I know what's up. Yeah, I know this house. I know exactly where we are. The War Memorial. So everyone wants to uh, make a small little business. They have a little business idea where they're running a small business. They got an idea for a website they want to build. Or even if uh, a Facebook a page or some kind of social media presence. But even if you do all of these social media presences and you use other people's servers, you're still gonna want to run your own infrastructure of some kind. A little tracker or a little um, button somewhere, a little micro website that you can deploy. And with the um, serverless, you can set budgets and say, well, I'm willing to pay this much per month maximum. And then it'll just shut it off for you. So that's good. Calhoun Street Bridge, here we go. Right. This is, I know where we are now. This is where I came in. Morning. 
Yeah, some people have some nice houses here on the canal. All right. So there's a huge market for people who want to um, do something, you know, they got an idea they want to do something. And um, now you can just do something on someone else's infrastructure and just hope they don't want to delete it, like the speedy deletion. Wiki, you know, live by the grace of the Lord, the landlord of someone else, or you can be your own landlord and own your own infrastructure. And if you want to do that, you can sign up for the cloud account and basically run your own infrastructure. I mean, sure, by the grace of AWS or Google or whatever. That is one huge fish. I have to get a picture of this. So if you decide to run your own infrastructure in the cloud, you've got different APIs you can use. And um, you basically create an account. And I, I went over all of this. I went over all of this in previous episodes. So I don't want to repeat myself too much. But basically, you can go to Fiverr and you can go to Upwork and you can find people, you know, to gigs, to do gigs for you, to do certain things. But where we step in is the delivery of the results of that work. So as a small entrepreneur, right, this is my point of sale here. This is my selling point. Where is your developer going to work? Right? On what what resources do you provide to them to do their job? Okay? And um, when they make the delivery, how do you pass that results of their work to the to the uh, how do you pass the results of that work to the um, to the Q and A people? How do you deploy it? How do you integrate it? Like, what are what's the workflow of all of that? How do you give people access to it? Appropriate access. And that's where my tool will come in and it will set up the developer's infrastructure. It'll give them the appropriate data. It will um, take the results of their work and be able to merge it into production, let's say, deploy it to production, all with a swipe. And even choosing between designs and picking of candidates, all is going to be swipe left and right. So people can do gut reactions. They can do a gut reaction to uh, to decide on picking a website design. And uh, we're going to provide them with tools to do all of this. It's going to be some kind of Ansible type situation, some kind of bootstrap situation. Um, yeah, this side of the street is definitely much nicer. Okay, this is where I came to last time. This is the other side of it.
definitely much nicer. Look at that modern building. New Jersey School Boards Association. It's really just two sides of Trenton. On one side of the canal, it's utter poverty. And on the other side, you have the most magnificent, magnificent houses on State Street here. Or is it uh, Hanover? State Street. So the canal runs along State Street. Look at that. Yeah, so um, in the beginning, um, you know, when you do your fiber bid, I don't even know if fiber has an API or whatever, but basically once you get your worker picked on fiber, let's say in the beginning, then you would invite them to our platform. And um, we're gonna have to have some kind of training some documentation for how we do it. Can you believe that these geese are hiding from the rain? So basically, we want to sign people up as developers um, to work gigs. We want to sign people up as architects to develop solutions, let's say DevOps engineers, to develop new solutions in our platform using standard things like Ansible, etc., to adapt recipes and to package them up. And then these recipes or these solutions will be put onto our marketplace and you can sell your solution, publish it, and we'll have to figure out how that all is going to work in terms of payment. But um, I think that the person creating the template or the Know, maintaining it will want to get some kind of remuneration. So will the person who um, works on it. We might have some kind of currency. And uh, morning. And uh, I think. Uh, going to have different um, different ways to do that.
morning. So, these mulberries. Alright, so I've successfully explored the loop, the Greenway Loop, and the Trenton Towpath Canal to where it marches. Okay. What's next? So I haven't worked out the details of taking cuts and where are these people going to host their solution and why do they even need me and what will I provide? Well I will provide the app. The app is going to be proprietary for the beginning. And it will be the website, so we'll bring the customers. We're going to sign up salespeople and developers and people. Now, if someone wanted to use our basic technology for deployment, which will be open source, the foothold or the foundation code for bootstrapping into different clouds and then deploy themselves that's fine so that will be our common value so if someone wants to deploy to a customer site without our app or they decide they're going to take their customer away and deal with them without us that's fine right to leave and we don't want to lock people in we want to provide them a service Now, I've been researching into Azure, Azure, Blue, and, um, you know, you're going to pay money just to deploy your, your function and keep the storage. That might be $10 a month just for cloud storage and monitoring. Now, I'm thinking that this bootstrap code could actually run on my server and access your account via some kind of grant or role so that you might pay just for that invocation and a slice of the storage space so you won't pay the full bill. I think that might actually be cheaper. And we're going to look into mixed mode, multi-cloud, like the Azure function talking to Amazon, the Amazon function talking to Azure, um, credentials, roles, keys, all of that stuff. data transfer can we package up the code to run an Azure function and the caller pays for it what are the options so these are some of the modalities I've been thinking about and oh you know what really starting to think 
I'm really starting to think that um, my podcast quality is deteriorating. I start with good intentions. Let me start, let me stop this recording and start fresh with a topic. All right, welcome to part two of Mike's walking cast for the morning. And um, I decided to restart the recording so that I could compress what I was just talking about and remove some of the uh, junk. So what is it? What is the swipe to deploy? What's my key value proposition? So we are going to deliver an app, a mobile app that allows you as a small business owner or someone who wants to start their company, a micro business, to simply from your phone, create an entire website and hire programmers, pick from designers and choose architectures and hire consultants like Upwork or Fiverr, but we will control the deployment. We will provide your workers a place to work, quality controls for delivery, an opinionated way to bring the solution into production. You will be able to choose between templates created by our DevOps team, like Ansible recipes, let's call them, or Ansible playbooks, for setting up your Wikipedia clone to host some articles of yours, or the WordPress site, or the little micro Facebook integration page for your WordPress, or something, or like uh, email uh, tracker, or something like that. So some kind of analytics uh, button. So yeah, we're going to set that up for you using recipes, and people will be incentivized to build recipes. And um, you can pay them somehow, we haven't figured that out yet, for designing them. And um, then they will be deployed using our multi-cloud Ansible deployment tool. Each cloud provider will have an interface that bootstraps the Ansible into it that you can use, and that will be open source. So you can continue to use it without us in the future from wherever. I guess we can make a CLI tool for it as well. So you don't need the app. It'll run on your infrastructure, or we were just discussing shared infrastructure for some of these cloud deploy functions with pay as you use. We'll talk about that. To reduce the costs and copies and storage. And uh, we hope to gain build a marketplace where we encourage uh, sysadmin people and designers to sign up on our site because we will provide them a deployment system. And let's say they're working on Fiverr and they could also use our system for jobs that they find on their own. So we can also have a sales commission type situation or give credit for new customers. They bring new customers to our system. Um, someone who's into networking and could earn money by um, 
recommending us. And we should have some kind of referral system. And it should be transparent. Um, what you uh, pay and why and to whom. Some kind of smart contract. So, um, yeah, and the, and the foundation will be a, a serverless Lambda function, or basically it's a slice of a virtual machine that's running some Python script. It'll have all the APIs and all the credentials to act on your behalf, and you can just send it. It runs in your account, and you just send it the commands to execute this, that, or the other thing from the recipes, and it'll deploy it. And we will protect people from cryptojacking and stuff like that with snapshots and backups, honeypots, and other protections you can buy. So if you don't trust someone, protect your production and you could deploy it to production two or a B and uh, only show it to some people and um, see if the user experience is better and if companies want to provide security consulting and reviews code reviews you can purchase that as well so it's basically the whole enchilada I want to provide as a service. All right, so that's the idea. And I'll send this over to our friend to listen.